if you're ready to move forward and reframe the past and move towards the future, the thing you need to do, aside from journaling about these things, is start to tell people about the impact they've had on you and about the changes you're ready to start making. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am thrilled to share with you an extraordinary guest today. He is Dr. Benjamin Hardy, an organizational psychologist, successful entrepreneur, and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blog is read by millions of people monthly, and he has been featured in Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. He adds priceless value by helping people break free from the shackles of what they perceive to be a permanent personality. He's a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today and one of the most popular writers on Medium. Dr. Hardy speaks and trains at a wide range of events. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through the foster care system in February 2018. And one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. They live in Orlando, and it is great to have you here. Ben, welcome to the Daily Helping Podcast. Thanks, Dr. Richard. Amazing to be with you, my friend. This is going to be awesome. So we're definitely going to talk about your new book, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about your last book, Willpower Didn't Work as well. So I want to dive into there. But just before we do that, talk to us about what was really the inspiration for you? Because I love asking my guests this. What inspired you to start doing the work you're doing today? So I grew up in a traumatic situation. Parents got divorced when I was 11. Father became an extreme drug addict basically from age 11 till I was like 20 and basically had zero stability. And so that's not really what inspired my work, but that's kind of what created the fertile soil for me to kind of learn many things about life. Uh, what ultimately ended up happening, I still have no clue how I graduated from high school, but I ended up on a church mission for a few years. And I went through an extreme amount of change on that church mission. Um, my, my father actually, while I was gone, overcame a lot of his addictions and things like that. He's actually uh, a great friend of mine and he's He's made insane progress as a human being. It was an interesting episode of our lives. But the amount of change that I went through during that two-year experience, and then obviously coming back and studying psychology, I just decided that I really was interested in human change because I just witnessed so much of it in my own self and also in my family that I wanted to learn more about it. And I wanted to study it and I wanted to figure out how to help other people do it. And so that's kind of the thing that continues to fuel my work. I'd read a lot of books during that experience, written, you know, filled stacks of journals. And so I learned to love writing and I read books that really helped me. And so it was during that experience about 10 years ago that I thought, I want to write books. I wasn't really sure what form or fashion that would take over the last five or six years. That's kind of developed itself. But yeah, that's kind of what started me down this journey. Was there one book in particular that was like the light bulb went off? And said, so this is the book that changes everything? No? No. I never had that one moment. But uh, 
I, I've had lots of light bulb moments. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's jump into willpower doesn't work. So what, what was the, the motive for writing that book and, and take us through the seminal points of it? So I wrote willpower doesn't work because it was actually, a, I wrote it with, you know, usually when you write, it's good to write with an audience in mind. And so I was actually writing that book to my younger brother, Trevor, <laughs> even though the book is for anyone, but my brother, as one example, and there's many people I know who are also surrounding that. Honestly, I could look at various stories or chapters. I could say, I, I wrote that for that person. I wrote that for that person. But, and a lot of it I wrote for myself. But I've seen a lot of people in my life who have what I would consider plenty of innate potential, plenty of charisma or, or even dreams and ambitions that get halted and stunted not because they lack the potential, but because they remain in crappy situations. You know, like I was in a terrible situation for a long period of time and addiction is a big part of my, my background. And so my younger brother is heavy into addiction himself. And I just noticed that he finds himself in the same circles. And I know that if he's not getting himself out of the circles, he's not going to make changes. The book ultimately became about how it doesn't matter how much grit or willpower you have. If you don't change your environment, you're not going to actually make permanent change. And that was the real inspiration actually came when we became foster parents of three kids. You know, we took the three kids out of a very limiting environment where they had almost zero options. Like they, their parents were drug addicts. They weren't being taken to school. You know, like they lived out in a trailer in the middle of the country of South Carolina. And so like, it doesn't matter how much good intention these kids have, like they're completely limited by that context. And so I just want, and when you move their context, it changes them. Also, my wife and I went through an, ama- an amazing amount of change by taking these three foster kids on. There's a quote from William Durant where he says, the ability of the average person could be doubled if the situation demanded it. Um, and I felt like that's what happened for my wife and I. Like We give ourselves three foster kids. We're required to do a lot of things because of the demands of the situation. So willpower doesn't work is really about engineering situations. It's about focusing on context versus the individual. And recognizing that, like, you can't make the changes you need to without addressing the context first. And um, it'll, you know, so rather than thinking about yourself, which is a very individualistic thing, which is kind of the easy focus in self help, it's like, no, 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 let's focus on the context that's shaping the individual and focus on that first so that you can become who you want to be. And that's kind of a more of a psychological approach to change. So that's kind of why I wrote that book. So as it relates to the research for willpower and focus, as you were writing this book, what were some of the things that you found that might surprise people? Well, I mean, I think that willpower in general is a popular idea. You know, like willpower intuitively makes sense that you've got to gut your way to change. I was surprised in studying addiction, obviously, and I I hadn't actually studied it so deeply. I just experienced it intensely. But, you know, I love the the idea that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. So like you can't actually really get out of a, an addiction without surrendering to other people and like seeking help, admitting you're wrong, <laughs> you know? So I think just, I mean, I'm not really sure cause it's, it's kind of far away from me, to be honest with you. It's like three books away in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I, I couldn't point to like specific studies and say like, this is, this is something that was useful in the book, but overall the general consensus is environment wins. And I think, I mean, there's, I actually, I actually remember now that I'm thinking a little more deeply about it, uh, I talk about the research on rat park. I don't know if you remember that section, but rat, there's a lot of research on rats and just, and, and just really interesting studies. And actually, interestingly, James Clear ended up quoting the exact same studies in this book, Atomic Habits. 
for example, like people who are in like the war, I forget what war it was now, but they came back, they were all drug addicts out in like Vietnam, came back and like immediately stopped doing all their drugs because environment changed. So I think that it's just, it's interesting to see how big context changes behavior. Obviously we're seeing that right now with COVID-19, but yeah, I, there's nothing direct I can point you to right now. I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, not not at all. Well, let's let's talk about your newest book, which is available in bookstores everywhere this week. Personality isn't permanent. So, you know, as we had a really cool discussion before we got on the air, and and you and I are very like minded as it relates to this. So, so talk about uh, what got you on this topic. Yeah, uh, a few things got me on this topic. So, willpower doesn't work is a book with very broad implications. Uh, entrepreneurs, a ton of entrepreneurs love this book. Um, but it, I was thinking about it really in terms of behavior change and even addiction. And Joe Polish, a friend of mine, was really starting in 2018. So Willpower Doesn't Work came out in 2018. He was pointing me to a lot of research on trauma uh, at this time because it was interesting for him because he's also interested in addiction. He was you know, creating the connection of the idea that trauma unresolved trauma is kind of a really strong you know, indicator of why someone would be in an addiction. And he and I went up to a Gabor Mate conference. I don't know if you've heard of Gabor Mate. I have not. Tell me about he's an it. interesting guy, interesting psychiatrist, uh, or I believe he's a medical doctor psychiatrist, but he's basically one of the top trauma experts in the world. And me and Joe were at one of his conferences and, and the idea of personality kept coming up and basically just talking about how personality shapes is shaped in many ways by former and unresolved traumas. Basically, your personality becomes a coping mechanism for trying to like avoid the traumas. I kept hearing that. And then I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which was recommended to me by Joe. And basically what Bessel talks about in that book, and that book is kind of the definitive book on trauma. And, and just so it's out of, out of the way, this book is, my book is not really about trauma. It's just, that's one chapter. But I just, I learned that, um, you know, unresolved trauma freezes your personality. It essentially stops you from emotionally developing as a person. You end up becoming emotionally rigid. You stop having mental flexibility. You stop being able to imagine a future. Essentially, you become defined by the past uh, and your comfort zone shrinks dramatically, as does your self-definition. And that was really important to me because how I was trained to think about personality for a lot of my education was to think of it as, I mean, obviously it's kind of like a consistent way of showing up. It's how you show up consistently. But the number one, not number one, but a, a, a big dogma in psychology is, is that the best way to predict a person's future is by, by looking at their past. And so I wanted to understand why that was true. And I also wanted to understand how you could make that not true. <laughs> you know, like for anyone who actually wants to change it's not, I didn't, I didn't want the idea to be just that you have some innate personality and that your past is the ultimate thing that predicts your future. I didn't believe that because I'd seen change and also now digging into like trauma and other aspects. I was like, okay, there's other reasons why people's behavior becomes so predictable. I want to explain why that is so that it doesn't have to be the case. And so that's kind of what led me down that rabbit hole. I mean, obviously I had studied you know, why personality tests like psychometrics essentially and why personality tests like Myers-Briggs. I had already gone down that rabbit hole about why those are garbage. Um, but it was really the trauma piece that put me down the rabbit hole. So it's, you know, as a psychologist, I'm hearing you say this and it's interesting because I think about a lot of the forensic tools that are out there and they actually like stamp it right on the front, you know, of their interpretive guide. The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. So 
it's certainly a, a that's a very popular notion and, and, and honestly it makes sense but i just wanted to make uh, uh, but there's reasons why that is right and they don't explain that so let, let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit let's take a deeper dive into you know what the research shows is why that is and but more importantly uh, some of the things that you've identified uh, to where people can can shift their future and won't be defined by their past yeah so I think that a common and overly simplistic explanation of basically the idea that the past predicts the future is just that people have a personality that's for the most part stable and non-changeable. Like, it's just like, I think personality becomes a really easy way for people to explain behavior. And obviously that's makes sense. But then the question is, well, what the freak is personality and what's predicting personality? Um, And I think that most people don't ask that second question. Instead, they just say personality is innate, it's non-changeable or it's non-flexible. Um, and so that kind of leads to the, the obsession with personality tests and things like that, that kind of simplify and allow you to explain your identity essentially. But yeah, I mean, trauma is obviously a big thing. Trauma is one of the big things that leads you to becoming overly predictable. I mean, if you haven't resolved something, then you're essentially repeating your experience over and over and over again. The, the goal is to look to the past and to reframe the meaning of it so that you can take whatever was a problem and you can actually choose to learn from it so you can stop being defined by it and you can focus back on the future. Victor Frankl talked a lot about that in Man's Search for Meaning, which is a phenomenal book. Yes. I don't know how you feel about that one. <laughs> I, I've read it. It's, it's a powerful book for sure. Yeah, I mean, his big assessment was that the moment someone loses a sense of purpose in their future, the present becomes completely unmanageable. You know, and if you're in such bad conditions as the Holocaust, that means you die. You you stop having you stop seeing meaning in the suffering, and so as a result, you can't go forward. And so, I think the goal for someone who's struggling in the past, you know, has struggles in the past, is they have to they've got to go back to finding a future that gives their sense of purpose, so that then they can reshape the meaning of those things. So, you know, I'll just lay it out really simply, and then we can go down whichever way you want. The kind of four, I call them four personality levers in the book, but the things that I believe are, are driving personality more than anything are unresolved trauma, your identity narrative, which is basically the way you explain yourself to others. If you hear people explain themselves, usually they talk in very definitive terms. I'm an introvert. You know, I'm bad with people's names. You know, people are very definitive in how they explain their current self or their former self, which obviously leads to predictable behavior in the future. Um, and the just subconscious patterns uh, being the third and then environment being the fourth, just, you know, consistent roles, consistent situations. Those are the things that I believe lead to predictability. Obviously the fourth one environment is really easy to point to. There's a lot of research, obviously in social psychology about how people's behavior is consistent because of consistent situations, but I wanted to kind of break out all four of those. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go.
So we've spent a little bit of time on trauma already. So I think I think we have explained that in a, in a good number of ways. Let's talk about the identity narrative a little more deeply. So I don't know if you've gone through much of the research by Daniel Gilbert. Uh, he's at Harvard. He's really interesting. Have you have you heard of his work much? Uh, I've heard of the name, but I've not read anything he's done. So I'll point your listeners to a TED Talk called The Psychology of Your Future Self. Um, this is a phenomenal, it's a six-minute TED Talk. But Daniel Gilbert and also um, Hal Hirschfeld at UCLA have been studying this idea of future self as just a concept for quite a long, long period of time. But what Daniel Gilbert does is he's studied personality change over time. He looks at it over a decade period of time. So he'll ask people, well, I'll just ask you first off, like, are you like Dr. Richard, do you think you're the exact same person you were 10 years ago? Absolutely not. Yeah, I would would fundamentally agree. And that's like, that's like the general thing that he finds over and over and over and over is that most people, they can see big change in the past. But the big thing that he finds consistently is that when thinking about the future, if I were to ask you, do you think you're going to be just as different in 10 years from now as you were 10 years ago, you might have a different perspective. But a lot of people, they think that who they are today in the present moment is for the most part who they're going to be. Hmm. So they don't think that they're going to change that much in the future. And so, but, but basically, the, the research shows you're going to be a different person in the future. <laughs> Whether you're intentional or not, you're going to be a different person. You're going to have different views, different priorities, different habits, different environment. Dr. Hirschfeld at UCLA he talks about decision-making and about how it's important to define your future self as a different person. If you look at them as a different person, then you can make decisions based on what their preferences are, not based on what your current preferences are. Because your current preferences could lead to dopamine-seeking, you know, wasteful behavior. But if you're thinking about your future self and what they would want you to do today, then you can make decisions that are more intentional. Basically like, okay, if I want to be a professional author in the future, I should probably write that blog post, even though I really just want to sit and watch a YouTube video. You know, like you can make decisions based on future preferences. And then obviously there's... So the reason all this is really important is that from a psychological perspective, it's really important to realize that you're, you're not the same person you were in the past and you're not going to be the same person in the future. But personality tests, obviously the Myers-Briggs types, DISCs or whatnot, the ones that overly categorize, they emphasize very much present identity you know, like, who do you think you are today? And they lead to very definitive labeling, which leads you to believe you're going to be the same person in the future. And ultimately, you create such a label about yourself, it ultimately becomes a fixed mindset that seeks confirmation bias. So it's the opposite of what you would want to do if you were seeking to become a specific version of yourself in the future that's different and better. So like, you wouldn't want to overly define your current self. And so going to the idea of identity narrative, Identity narrative is basically how you describe yourself. And if you describe your current self in such definitive terms, then you're gonna lead, it's going to lead you to not growing to the extent you could in the future. If you wanted to be a little bit more effective, what you would do is you would really define who you want to be in the future and start talking about that person rather than talking so much about who you are today, recognizing that the version of you today is temporary, it's not fixed, and that it actually matters not that your current identity really doesn't matter that much. What matters is the person you want to become. And if you started to use that as your new narrative, it would predict a lot better behavior rather than past-focused behavior. I love that, Ben. And it actually lines up with a lot of the research around visualization, is that by having a forward-focused view, you're able to make steps in the present, take steps in the present to move you towards who you want to be. So I, I, I love that. Uh, let's talk about, uh, so we've got trauma, identity, narrative. Let's talk about that third pillar, that third lever. Yeah. So subconscious. And by the way, I just want to add to what you said, because it's really important. Like the whole idea of deliberate practice, 
you know, like um, deliberate practices re- requires visualization to do it effectively. Like deliberate practice is basically what performance psychologists kind of view as like the way to train yourself to improve a skill. And you can't do that without visualization. Like it's called deliberate because it's purposeful. It's directed towards a goal. It's not just routine doing the same thing over and over. Um, and so what you, I think what you were saying is it's literally essential to have that future self in mind to engage in purposeful learning. <laughs> so I think that that's, that's essential. But as far as the subconscious, uh, I'd be interested in your take on subconscious as well, because I think it's such a, like a, a broad concept that it's defined so many different ways. How I kind of look at it is that it's basically you on autopilot. Like it's, it's you without thinking, you know, it's, it's unconscious. Obviously it goes a lot deeper than that, but we are driven subconsciously by, in my opinion, almost like very much emotional needs. Like if I, if I pick up my cell phone without thinking about it and start scrolling, even if I just go on Facebook and start scrolling, it's because I'm probably getting a release of emotional chemicals that my body's become addicted to. And so I'm doing things out of habit and it's generally triggered by the environment. And so to live unconsciously or subconsciously is just to kind of just be without thinking. And I think as someone ages more and more, their life becomes increasingly on autopilot unless they're being very proactive about a future self. And so you want to upgrade your subconscious if you're wanting to get to that next level, but it's going to very much seek to pull you back because of emotional and chemical dependencies as well as environmental situations. Uh, So you need to kind of take, basically your subconscious is what's normal to you. But if your future self is in some other place, you would need to reset the normal. And in order to do that, you'd almost have to reset your whole homeostasis. That's kind of how I look at it. And obviously, I'd break down strategies of how to do that. But I don't know. I don't know if that's semi in line with how you view it. Yeah, I was trained uh, in the world of cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, so the cognitive behaviorists look at the subconscious as basically you have this set of core beliefs, and those create rules for you. These unconscious rules that almost like an operating system that based on the environmental information you're taking in, in real time kind of spit out that data. So your reaction to a situation is going to be formed by some of these things that, that you hold to be true. And those can change over time. And so it's, you know, you mentioned that as people get older, we tend to be more on autopilot. It's because uh, a lot of people, as they're, they're older, the rule kicks in, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. The, the rule kicks in, but it's, it's, it's also interesting you mentioned the cell phone and you know I don't want to go down the, the the rabbit hole and talk about you know Facebook and and what that does for people but the the reality is there is this confluence of environmental stimuli that comes in all the time and then we process that based on the lens upon which we view the world and it's amazing because our brain can take that and it's you know it's a fraction of a second but it's it's creating a reaction for us whether it be a thought, a feeling, and then, that, and then that leads to an action. So I think we're pretty much on the same page in, in terms of what subconscious means. Yeah, there's a lot of research on a concept called self-signaling. Essentially, it's the, idea, it's the idea that your behavior signals back to you the type of person that you believe yourself to be. So basically, if you're, if you're continuing to do the same behavior over and over and over, it reflects consistently on your identity. And so you're like, yeah, this is the type of behavior that I do. If you do something very different than what's normal, that may seem like an outlier behavior. But if you can start to consistently do this new behavior, that's essentially sending quite a signal to what I, the subconscious, which then allows it to like reset maybe the rule. So in the book, I talk about 
a few different ways you can shift your unconscious. From my perspective, one is actually visualization or in, in this case, writing in your journal, writing about your future mm-hmm. self, writing about the person you plan to be. That's obviously not enough to make an imprint to change your behavior. Uh, I think that that's why the narrative becomes the next step where you start telling people about your goals. Start, And I think that from an addiction standpoint, that's when you know that someone's getting ready to change is when they start admitting that they want something different. They start, rather than trying to like keep it secret, like there's a quote in Alcoholics Anonymous that you're as sick as your secrets. So from my perspective, you know, someone's kind of ready to make a change when they start opening up and saying, look, this is what's been going on in the past, but this is who I really want to be. And like, I need help or I need support. Like you, when you become public about a goal, then it's like, that's a really good starting point to commitment towards that future. And so like, from my perspective, when you start telling people about your goals, in addition to writing about them and visualizing them, you're making a deeper imprint on your subconscious. That's like, look, I mean, it takes courage often to, um, to tell people about what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that changing the emotional experience of your day-to-day life where you're like, you're regularly experiencing courage that those are very shifting behaviors. They, they can shift your, you know, your, your homeostasis, making big behaviors towards your future self. Like, you know, if you're out of shape going for a run, you know, like breaking a sweat, going to the gym and doing something hard, like those type of things can reset or at least start to reset the expectation. Uh, I talk a lot about investing in your future identity. Because when you start investing money, you become increasingly committed to that thing and you start to overly identify with what you invest in. And so by making kind of powerful, bold behaviors, you start to believe it. And eventually you can upgrade your identity to get to that point where your behavior starts to look like the future versus looking like the past. I love that. Let's, uh, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about environment, that fourth lever. Yeah. So environment is one of, in my opinion, the strongest things predicting personality. Uh, a lot of research, obviously, on peer groups about how your peer group should. And, and honestly, the word personality comes from from the root, like the word persona. And the word persona, like its original meaning, was actually the mask you wear. Like so, like you would be playing a character, almost like a play. Like in one, you know, you're playing different personas on different stages. That was kind of the original meaning of the word. It was never actually meant to be like this all-encompassing thing. It was that you were wearing a mask in a certain situation. And that makes a lot of sense when you think about role theory. Like in role theory, the idea is that you and I are in a different, we're in a role right now, you know, and we're talking on a podcast, but when you go and you shift rooms and you're playing with your son, like you're actually going to be in a different role. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're going to display a different persona. (laughs) And so like context in that case reflects more accurately, like the relationship between two things is more the accurate way of describing something. And so it's basically just the idea that who you surround yourself with and also the inputs that are consistently coming in are the things shaping you. Um, so if you're consistently listening to a various type of media or, you know, or even eating certain types of food or regularly having certain types of experiences, those things are shaping you. And if you change those inputs uh, and also your role in various situations, it's going to change how you see yourself. It's going to change your behavior. And so in the book, I provide obviously a few strategies for doing that. One would be strategic ignorance. That's just like making the decision to avoid various influences that you know are the opposite or would distract from your desired future self. Like there's just a lot of outside influence that you don't really need to come into your head so that you don't have to deal with that decision fatigue. So it's, it's making one decision that allows you to never have to think about it again. It's kind of like removing unhealthy food from your house. So you don't have to deal with the decision fatigue of, am I going to open up the can of soda that's sitting in the fridge? Like it's right. making one decision to remove the option. So you don't have to think about it anymore. So that's strategic ignorance. Uh, there's strategic remembering as well, which is literally just creating an environment that reminds you of the person you're trying to be. Like, could be just pictures you put on the wall. It could be goals on the wall. It could be like reminders on your phone. 
but it's ultimately developing an environment that allows you to consistently be triggered to think about your goals, <laughs> like uh, because it could be very easy to forget them in the busyness of the day. And so there's that, and then there's forcing functions, which I pr- explained pretty deeply, and willpower doesn't work as well, which is essentially just putting yourself in situations that you almost can't get out of. Like for example. Uh, I recently wrote a book in three months, Who Not How. And the, the reason I had to write that book so fast is because there was a deadline. So that deadline was a forcing function. That was a situational factor that I could not get out of. At least it would have had a big consequences if I got out of it. And so the idea is, is that you design situations that kind of force desired behavior. Like one, one example could be you go, go to the library and you leave your power cable at home from your laptop. And you know, you know your laptop's going to die in two hours. So you only have two hours to work. Like it's about designing situations that force focus. I really like that. And you know, it, it's interesting. You're talking about these things you can put in the environment. Uh, that's, that's essential as well as removing those things. So I'm glad you, you spoke about the, uh, I, I can't remember, did you say intentional ignorance? The, the way you did? Strategic ignorance. Strategic ignorance. All right, very good. Sorry about that. Uh, but, but that's- Intentional ignorance is essentially the same idea. Yeah, but- <laughs> But, but it's, it's critical. And it's not only critical in terms of people, but it's, it's information sources as well. And so particularly now, you know, I, I've been talking on a lot of podcasts about you know, the, the real problems that people are causing themselves emotionally by sitting around watching this COVID news all day. So it's, you My know, dad is a great example. I mean, every time I call him, he's upset. And I'm like, why are you upset? He's like, well, I've just been watching the news the last three hours. It's like, okay, <laughs> do you want to be upset? If, if not, then stop watching the news, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? What people do to themselves. I mean, and you do it in many other ways. I mean, even just jumping on Facebook or like, you know, what, it's, it's, it's literally just becoming aware of your triggers, right? And, and aware of the things that are actually causing you harm, <laughs> but that you continue to engage in for one reason or another. Yeah, it's so right on. Uh, This has been awesome, Ben. Can't wait for the new book to come out this fall. But uh, we are at time, and this has been a great interview. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests this one single question. What is your biggest helping, the most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I think that a biggie, it has a lot to do with emotions. Because from my perspective, the reason people get stuck in patterns is because of a lack of emotional, essentially development or not even that, but just emotional flexibility. And so just as one example, if you're, if you've got suppressed pain from the past, the thing you need to do is actually start to talk about it with key people in your life and, or even journal about it. The same is true of your future self is being willing to put yourself in that situation of uncertainty where you can start to handle the emotions of the unknown. And so to kind of give this a practical substance, there's a quote from Mr. Rogers. Honestly, he said, anything that is mentionable is manageable. And like, once you've made your emotions, once you've given them words, you can, you can actually manage them. And Frankl said something very similar. He said, emotions cease to be suffering when you give them a form. And so I think just the willingness to talk about your challenges and the willingness to talk about your goals allows them to not fog you up on the inside and confuse you. And so I would invite people, and it does take courage, but courage is the thing that starts shifting the subconscious in the right direction. Uh, All progress starts by telling the truth, Dan Sullivan says. And so I think if you're ready to move forward and reframe the past and move towards the future, the thing you need to do, aside from journaling about these things, is start to tell people about the impact they've had on you and about the changes you're ready to start making. And then if you would, 
define who you want to be in the future and start telling key people in your life about that person. And, and you will notice a lot of clarity that immediately becomes because you're taking your emotions and you're giving them form rather than just letting them dwell within you as fog. And that's what you want. You want the things you're dealing with to be mentionable and manageable. And it's amazing how much clarity you can get when you do that so that you can actually start moving forward in your life rather than being hampered or confused by your emotions. You know, and people have to deal with that. I mean, I had to, I have to get over my emotions every time I go online to write a blog post. I've got to turn it into a form so that it's manageable so that I can then write it into an article so that I can get results. If I don't take the time to make it manageable or structured, then I just have a bunch of confusion in my, my body and I ultimately give myself an excuse not to write that day. And if you do that every day, then you don't achieve your goals. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Where can people find you online? BenjaminHardy.com. That's pretty much the website. You can find blog posts there. You can find free resources there. Uh, giving away a lot of free, re, uh, free online courses for anyone who buys the book Personalities and Permanent. So BenjaminHardy.com is where you can find it all. Awesome. And for, for those of you on the treadmill, we got you covered. Everything Benjamin Hardy will be in his show notes at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app available in Google Play and the iTunes store. Well, Ben, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the Daily Helping today. Totally, man. Happy to be with you, Dr. Richard. Thank you again. And I want to thank each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today, do something nice for someone else, especially if you don't know who they are. Post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 